Today's episode of the Sports Reporters on the Rigger Podcast Network is brought to you as always by ZipRecruiter. You know it's not smart taping a Sports Reporters one week before it goes up because God knows I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Maybe something crazy happened. We didn't get to talk about it. Maybe Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman got in a fist fight. Now we're not talking about it. I don't know. We taped it uh, the week before Christmas, but hey, uh, it's all for you. You know what else isn't smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Luckily, there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. They find people with the right skills for your job. They actively invite them to apply. You get qualified candidates fast. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, State Farm has over 19,000 agents across the country. 19,000. Huge number. It's not really about the number. It's about having a real person who's nearby, someone you can talk to and get personalized help protecting what matters most, combining the purchase of your home and auto insurance. Never easy. But with the help of a real-life State Farm agent, it can be. Go to statefarm.com slash agent to find an agent. Today, we are also brought to you by TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network and The Rewatchables, where we put up a new episode, Tombstone. That went up this week. Check that out. Hope you had a great Christmas here. Without further ado, is the sports reporters. But first, Pearl Jam. All right, it's time for a holiday edition of the Sports Reporters. Brian Curtis is here from the ringer.com. Jason Gay is here from the Wall Street Journal. This is the last time we were doing it in 2018. We might as well start. Curtis wrote a great piece that he spent seven years of his life on (laughs) about the 25-year anniversary of Fox uh, stealing the NFL from CBS and basically creating their own network. And if you read between the lines in this piece, the implication is this might happen again. Now, you, the suitors for Fox are all companies that are doing fantastic, like Amazon and Apple and who knows, Netflix. I have no idea. But I read that piece and I thought, now here's Fox 25 years ago saying, we don't even care about the number. We need football so badly that you, it, this doesn't even make sense. We don't care. We are pushing ourselves to another level. Brian, when you were writing this, did you feel like this was the future for where football is going right now? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be the next deal, which is 2022. I feel like the network model has just enough juice to get us through that deal. Don't you think? 2022, that those networks are going to write one more giant check each. God, I don't know. I don't know what to think anymore. Like Jason... Your kids, does your kid even, your kid's almost six. Does he, he even turn on cable at all? Does he know what cable is? No, no, uh, but he doesn't know what football is. I, I pointed at the screen yesterday and, and, and he knew what football was, which was a real accomplishment. I found good parenting skills there. Great job. Great job. We're all proud of you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think we're talking about three different generations now that don't flick channels with a remote control. Mm-hmm. And then probably the cutoff, nephew Kyle. Are you twenty five yet, nephew Kyle? Twenty five. When were you? Did you ever have a flicking through the cable guide moment in your life, or were you no, just we always have a TV guide? Yeah. Yeah. So what now do you I think use the an cutoff Xbox is? Controller. I don't know. What about your brother? No. No. He, yeah. 
I guess he's, yeah. he's 15, but I mean, it's gone now. I don't know. I did. The thing I can't wrap my head around, like is if, if Amazon got football, mm-hmm. how would we flick around? How would I watch four games at once? <laughs> what would be like when I have on direct TV, when I just have the package and it's like red zone 703 and then the games are from 705 to 712. I don't understand how that works with Amazon, but I might just be too old. I might be too, but does it involve another screen? Are you watching the game on your laptop and then also operating a, a television? So they, they just want us to have multiple, like I have an iPad, I have my iPhone, and then it's on my TV. I mean, in the, in the near term, yeah. I mean, in the, but obviously they would figure that out. This is, I think, the network's biggest advantage with, uh, with football is the ability to bounce around. Unless everything just becomes the red zone thing. Jason, are you pro red zone or anti red zone? Uh, I, it makes me jumpy. I, I, I get bored of it pretty quickly. Not bored. I, it makes me anxious in a way. It's just sort of unnatural to me. I know there's a whole generation or two growing up behind me that our generation of six growing up behind me that, you know, this is to whom this is nothing, but I, it just feels like, um, you know, licking the tops off a of cupcakes to me. There's, you should be watching the bad <laughs> football as well. Well, they, they reconfigured the ratings this year in a, in a really kind of genius, evil genius kind of way. They loaded the Thursday games. Mm-hmm. The Sunday night games are better and the Monday night games are a little bit better. And they threw away Sunday afternoons. And there's basically like one or two good games on Sundays now. And they're banking that we won't notice because we either got the red zone, we have fantasy, yeah. and we have gambling and we don't need the quote unquote signature game at one o'clock or four o'clock East coast time. I actually think this strategy has worked. I've enjoyed the night games this year. I think so too. And I think, by the way, that's a reward for Fox, speaking of Fox bailing out the NFL, for bailing out Thursday night football. What did we hear about Thursday night football for the last X number of years? Players hate it. The games suck. It's boring. It's terrible. They're going to have to get rid of this. And what does Fox do? Comes in. Here's a check. Yeah. Here's a huge check. So you take a pay increase from CBS and NBC, right? And the reward was... Here's a bunch of good games, and Fox was willing to sacrifice Sunday afternoon games. But to your point, by the way, I feel we still have one Sunday afternoon game that's pretty good every week. I don't know if you saw the number that Patriots Steelers did yesterday. It was the highest rated game of the year in the NFL. You, but you told me ratings won't change. My I, life, I, I Brian. didn't. You, you brought. You said the R word. <laughs> you said the R word. I do feel feel we have one good game a weekend though. We still have like one. I feel like Sunday we have two. Game. I always feel like the early game there's one good one, and the late game there's one good one. And then after that, it's all fantasy and gambling. I don't see how Amazon could have the entire package. But if you're talking about how do these streaming services come in in a big way, mm-hmm. it would make sense for them if there was the only game in town. So the, basically, the candidates are Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night. I would think and so. Let's say Amazon gets it or Apple. And it's just like Thursday night football. This is an awesome game. And the only way you can watch this is on Apple. Jason, does that make more sense to you? You know, it makes sense 2018. I think an important question is, does it make sense in a room of 31 owners? And I think that will always be an advantage for legacy television, at least in this generation of owners, for whom it's going to be hard to explain to them the idea that they're not going to be able to use their remote control and flick from one channel to the next channel and those kinds of traditions. Um, It's interesting that you're suggesting that they would, you know, they want a big score here, that they're not just going to try to nick off a small part of the package and grab, I don't know, Monday or just Thursday. You think if one of these 
what do they call them, fang companies jump in and uh, grab a, uh, a football package, they're going to want a much bigger deal. Yeah, and I actually think a Super Bowl would be part of it, and I think it would have to mm-hmm. be part of it. So if Amazon comes in and says, we want Monday nights, we want one playoff game a year, and we want the Super Bowl, Ooh. and we're paying you three times what everyone else wants you to pay. Yeah. Now, if you're Amazon, um, all right, so what are the benefits? And like you talked about this in the in Fox 25 years ago, Fox saw this whole landscape differently than the networks did. The networks were like, as you pointed out in the piece, like CBS, like 295, that's what our break-even number is. And Fox said, we don't care about our break-even number. If we get football, everyone has to add us in the different cable systems. We can promote our shows. They saw all these things that make sense now. They didn't make sense 25 years ago. Amazon could look at this and go, all right, we have football. People have to come here. We're getting all the data. We can follow what they're, what, you know, the same people that watch football are also more likely to buy these kitchen appliances and to buy these Blu-rays and go on down the line. They're, they're probably seeing benefits in this. It's, it's all a little big brothery, I think. And, and, yeah. and unfortunately, I think that's where we're heading. I would just say that the and the history with these companies is that you know the first deal is the best deal, right? You know they want to bring you in, they want to seduce you with uh, numbers and money and access and this feeling of futurism, and then they get control and they sort of reset the parameters. And I think that's you know why anybody in in the media business needs to be slightly wary of these giant digital players is that there's pretty strong track record now of changing the terms. And so I think that'll give pause to the NBAs and the NFLs and anybody else renegotiating deals because as much as they want to, you know, move on, uh, they know these devils, they know these networks, they have histories with them. It's funny because the tension back in 94 was these guys like Jerry Jones had paid so much money to buy into the NFL that they were like, we need money. Yeah. We, we can't take, we can't just take another deal. I got to have money because I'm leveraged. I just paid, I bet the Cowboys were the most expensive team in the history of sports in 1989. Now, of course, it's ridiculous. He paid a couple hundred mil for it. But at the time, they like, we just need money. Wellington Merritt doesn't need money. I need money. And I think that's the sort of like what you'd have to get to, like, and maybe there's an NBA version of this. It's like, do you have enough new owners that got in at such a high level? that paid so much to get in that they need that Amazon check. They need that Facebook check. Right. They can't just take a nice little 20% increase every four or five years from the networks. And I I think that'd be an interesting question too. Well, and then you go to the nefarious route where if Amazon's your business partner and, or Apple and they're overpaying what everyone else is offering, but they also can offer you intelligence too. Mm. And they could analytics teach you data. about your yeah analytics data, um, stuff about your audience, who's actually consuming it. There's all these things that they bring to the table that a traditional network could never bring to the table. And that's why I, I actually think, I agree with you. I think the NFL is more old school. What's the biggest check? This is too weird for me. It's a little too forward thinking. <laughs> Let's try to yeah. keep it the way it is and just get a lot of money. I think the NBA is more likely to be the league that says, um, yeah, here you go. Here's, you get our Sunday games and you could get the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. And in turn, we get all this data, data and a crazy check. What seems more realistic to you, Jason? 
I still, what you said at the top is probably the way it's going to go. I think it's going to be one last go round for the legacy network, you know, maybe siphoning off a little bit of it to an Amazon. Um, you know, it's now a couple of years ago, but I asked this question of Jerry Jones in the flesh and he, you know, the idea of the, you know, a major game being sold to Facebook or to an Amazon. And he kind of looked at me like I was suggesting hotels on Mars. He just sort of seems to feel it was not ready yet. Now, the world has changed dramatically in these, you know, 24 months since. So who knows what they're thinking? But what you're describing, Brian, isn't this, I mean, basically a digital company kind of making a lost leader play, which I don't even know if that's the kind of thing that digital media companies try to do. I mean, you see it a little bit with like Netflix, right? They're flooding the zone. They're spending like crazy, but they're just trying to grab share, share, share. Yeah. That's lost leader. I mean, isn't Amazon, isn't Amazon nothing but lost leader for, for like their entire history. Yeah. Until they're running running the country in about five years. (laughs) <laughs> but, but you know, with, with an eye on, you know, eventually owning all of the grid, right? That's the whole idea. Um, and does sports television, I mean, you know, what's the calculation when Fox, you know, overpays? They're like, okay, well, it's going to lift our primetime programming on other nights, you know, which became everybody else's play and overpaying for it. Um, but the other strange thing that happened in that interim, which, you know, you do in the piece as well, is that, you know, the games themselves became profit centers. I mean, they really became the most powerful things on television. You know, we've seen all the ratings at the end of the year that, you know, live football games, NFL games are 75 of the top 100 shows of the year. Um, it's a different environment. You're not getting the kind of like crazy double, triple digit, like, you know, 60 minute event television that you once did. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that, um, intelligence is going to be the biggest factor going forward for some of these leagues. Like for instance, they did that tiger versus Phil thing, which I want to talk about later, (laughs) which yes, it was a hit and a miss at the same time. The reason that it was a success was because they made all these people download that BR live app to get the event present company included present company. Well, I actually just pay-per-viewed it. Yeah. Cause I still, you actually paid, cable. which is to say you actually paid. Yeah. I wanted to see it. I was home. I was going through emails. Do I regret spending $20 on it? Kind of. Um, but I also spent, <laughs> you know, I'll spend $16 on a Halle Berry action movie. Like it's, <laughs> I'm a bad person for this, but so they get all these people to download that app. Now that people have the app downloaded, now they have the intelligence of those people now they can send them notifications unless they turn the notifications off and they're just gathering intel. So for instance, let's say that Amazon gets um, football. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, they make people download a new Amazon NFL app. And now you have to download that. And they have, as part of it, your location and your notifications have to be on. And all these people are in there and now they have all this new data on top of all the data they already have, but they can also share that data specifically with the NFL. Here's your audience. Here's the age range. I I think that makes a lot of sense. And if you're just throwing away like Monday Night Football, just say, take it off ESPN. It's on here instead. You have to download the app. You get one play at one of the wildcard games and every four years or five years, you get the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Here's the biggest check you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I think the NFL would do it. I think they might. I really think they might. Super Bowl to me is the hard, is the biggest climb. 
because it's still tough to take that. But off that's him. how you make the splash, right? Remember, we're all old enough to remember 30 years ago, ESPN got Sunday Night Football. And people mm-hmm. freaked the fuck out. Yeah. They're like, oh, ESPN? But we, we don't even have ESPN in our neighborhood. And, you know, it's like, you would have thought nobody had ESPN. I don't know how many homes it was in. It was a huge deal. It was it like 85, I Yeah, think? something like that. Guess what happened? More people had to get ESPN. Mm-hmm. More people called their cable distributors. And more, and now ESPN's in everybody's home. And that was the tipping point yeah, for but, ESPN. But they still have the legacy policy of carrying the ESPN feed or the cable feed all over the air in local markets, which actually have the game, you know, so if you're in New England, you get to see it, you know, on a non-cable channel if you just have rabbit ears, which I honestly feel is like a calming influence upon an octogenarian NFL owner. They like the idea that they're not going to be getting calls from angry fans wondering why they can't watch the game without a cable box. Hmm. That sounds like a Jason Gay Wall Street Journal feature where you go find the last person in America who has a rabbit ears television. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if they sell rabbit ears anymore, but you know what I mean. I mean, yeah, I don't think they do. They're reading newspapers. Yeah. I just love, I just love an experiment if we could get like, you know, with five of those octogenarian NFL owners in a room and say, here's something you don't understand at all. Yeah. And I'm just going to put a number down though. This is a number and it, it's, it's a, it's a billion number. <laughs> I know you understand numbers. Yeah. yeah. Do you take this or do you not take this? And I think the answer is they're going to take it. If it's, if it's a multiple, you know, if it's three, two, three, four times what they could get on ESPN for Monday night football. Yeah, and they're going to take it, of course. Well, let are. me let me bring this all the way around. Okay. ESPN, which has Monday Night Football. What if they said, we want Monday Night Football for the OTT service only this time? Ooh. Ooh. And, and here's a much, much bigger check for it. And we'll share you with guys with some of the data and all that stuff. I think that if I had to bet on the Monday Night Football package or Sunday Night or whatever, I would bet that the ESPN OTT is going to be one of the players. In 2022. Well, yeah. The, because that's, the next one. That's the real way you get people su- to subscribe to that service. Because ultimately, if it's good football games, people are going to pay for that over anything else we have. Whether Can, it's boxing, baseball, basketball, people are always going to pay for football. Yeah. Can't they? Well, they are certainly lining up the boats to get football. I mean, if nothing, if anything has happened at ESPN in the last, I don't know, eight to 12 months, it has been a complete recalibration of their position towards professional football and making nice with the league. And they've been, you know, transparent about this. I mean, Jimmy Pataro has been very upfront about the fact that they want to make sure that is a good relationship, a partnership. Um, And that clearly seems designed to extend the relationship. Actually, I want to talk about that. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a break to talk about the New York Times crossword app. Not the New York Times crossword, the New York Times crossword app. If you're listening to this podcast, you've already figured out smart ways to spend your time. Well, I just gave you another one. The crossword app is a fun, clever way to stay sharp. Every day there's a new puzzle, a new opportunity to challenge yourself and play. And now with the mini crossword, you can squeeze in a game in just a couple of minutes. Each mini puzzle is stimulating, quick, and more important, fun. Exclamation point, fun. Play by yourself or challenge your friends, then post your best times to share the satisfaction that comes from solving. Whenever you have some downtime, discover wordplay every day. It's time well spent. I used to be a crossword guy. Started driving me crazy because I could never finish one. I'd always be like five words short and then it's been two hours trying to figure it out and try not to cheat. My dad still does them. I got to get him this. 
this app. I might make a crossword app comeback. Maybe as I as approach fifty, might be my move. When when uh whenever you like to do crossword puzzles, it's going to be there for you. You can challenge your friends. You can uh you can play against your family. You can trash talk your family. Do whatever you want. Download the New York Times crossword app at newyorktimes.com slash mini. Brian, do you feel that ESPN right now is, you know, they were always trying to find, especially when I was there, they're always trying to find that balance between journalism Mm -hmm. and opinion. The seesaw feels like it is the most skewed that it's been for them. I think so. With, uh, with them really just wanting to be a partner to the NFL and not what, not wanting to cause a lot of waves. I think it's probably the same way in the NBA and, there's some stuff that I think five years ago they would have made a huge deal out of that nowadays they don't. I look at LeBron's broken hand as a good example in the finals when he said he almost broke his hand or whatever. But everyone just let that go. The 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 way they cover the NBA is is just much more favorable and friendly than I, I think it used to be. They care about breaking news. They don't care about like starting shit with teams and the Schefter bomb kind of stuff. Yeah, Woj and, bomb Schefter bomb kind of stuff. And I. I really think this is the right move for them as a company. Why should they be in the opinion business to the degree that it actually harms business relationships? Now, we're talking about the opinion business or we're talking about Van Nett and Wickersham pulling Roger Goodell's pants down business? Because those are kind of two different things. Well, let's let's talk about both because do you want to be reporting on your partner that aggressively to the point that they might take their entire business to another network and now you don't have football. It's really, I mean, look, this is a dangerous conversation. I don't want to say like I'm condoning it. I'm just saying I see it. I understand it because ultimately ESPN's a business. And I think what they're realizing is all of the issues that we've had over the years are because we're trying to pretend we're not a business, but we are. And let's just admit we're a business. I think that's, I think that kind of thinking is with the new regime, right? Yeah. I mean, one thing that's happened over the last couple of years at ESPN is all the people who were magazine veterans or journalists or newspaper veterans have slowly left the company, right? Skipper most prominently, but also John Walsh's, the Vince Doria's, the Chad Millman's, right? All those people have slowly gone out and they've been replaced by either Disney people or television people running the company for the most part. Few Few notable exceptions. But a lot of people that aren't worried about how do we achieve balance, right? They're more worried about how do we not piss off the NFL? The other thing, though, I would and say- the NBA. I would throw the NBA throw in the there. NBA. I think they are very wary of pissing the NBA off these days. The, the the amazing part to me is like, they've done this They're pretty much since since John Walsh came in and helped make it a real journalistic thing. Yeah. Right? They've done this. They've pissed them off one day and written a nice check and cozied up to them the next yes. day. And so what's happened, we're saying, is that they've just decided, at least on some cosmic level, that they can't piss them off anymore. That's just no, ESPN is so less powerful now. So they, they're not powerful enough to say, Hey, sorry, you're going to have to take some L's from ESPN, the magazine, but then we're also going to write you a check that, 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 that thing is done now. Yeah. I would say maybe it's, if it's a weakened state to some degree, that makes you make decisions a little bit differently. We are talking about ESPN in 2013 when they're making $8 billion a year, there's no sign whatsoever that the subs are about to decline and they are just a monolith, they can basically look at a league like the NBA and the NFL too and be like, you need us. We want to do this and you need us and you can't tell us not to do this. Now we're heading into 2019. They do not have the same footing. They've lost, 
I think it's like 20 million subs over the last, I don't want to say the the exact number, maybe 15. I can't remember. They lost 2 million this Double year. Double digit million, yeah. Double digit million. And now the seesaw has flipped a little bit. What do you see, Jason? You're, you're, Brian and I have worked for ESPN, so we're slightly tainted in our opinions. You have not. Uh, yeah, I have not. Um, I think that, you know, you're describing this basically as a leverage question. Who has the power, right? And ESPN had it, you know, a half dozen years ago, clearly across all sports, not just the NFL. Um, that has changed. And, uh, you know, the NFL is in a situation where they have more options, of course. You know, we talked about the digital players at the top. Um, and, you know, if you're a business person and your charge is to expand the company, grow the company, to, to stem the uh, subscriber losses, what's your best play? Well, live content obviously is that. And what's the best live content? That's NFL. So it seems like a very natural move. What's surprising to me, and, you know, I want to, you know, all know this, and you guys talked about it a lot. I mean, he has spent had some incredible journalism on the NFL on you know, concussion issues, on um, you know the Ray Rice stuff. They've been all over the ownership stuff, the stuff that Wickersham and Ben that have done over the years. It's been great, but like I feel like their ultimate kind of NFL story now is like Condi Rice could be the Browns coach. Like that's their <laughs> kind of like smash now. Like that's the kind of story that they wanted to get people talking um, and it might not be those really dramatic rain cloud pieces. Yeah. It's the, the perfect ESPN story now is like what happened with the three team trade this weekend where report, they broke the news, something got effed up. Then they broke the news that the trade was effed up. Mm-hmm. Then they broke the news that the deal was off and it was all the same person. Oh, the it was what was doing yeah. the tweets. Yeah. And then right. it leads to the deals off. They start this 12-hour, um, really funny news cycle, and then the trade's back on, and they broke that, too. <laughs> and it's like they're just in the mix the whole time, but nobody's feelings got hurt. If, you, if you're the, no. in the NBA, you'd be like, I can't believe what ESPN did. It's like they're just – the NBA has become its own running character, and the ESPN's just kind of there along for the ride. But they're not – they're not – you know, the biggest story – the biggest NBA story that everybody is the third rail right now is the whole tampering thing. Right. And when do these teams go after players? Do the Knicks have a deal with KD right now? Like, is it, is it just assumed that he's going there? Are they already looking at their plans next season with that in mind? I mean, to their credit, they say nothing about it. They're like, we're on the Warriors. We're trying to win a title. But we've seen year after year, there's wink, wink stuff. And people thought LeBron was going to LA for a year and he went to LA. Um, Can no, I nobody's going to report that. Yeah. Uh, not that you need to be defended on your own podcast, but I, 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 you are not the slightest bit out of line as the way that you asked her the question about what team he was going to go to and whether or not he would stay with the Warriors. And Rich Kleinman, you know, I, I think was a little out of line and scolding you for that. That was not cool. No, here's the thing, though. It, and I, I should have, I always forget this, that because it's audio only. I, I know those guys really well. Like that, that whole podcast was very good natured and, and he just screwing around. With yeah. You. We were messing around back and forth, but those guys weren't actually mad. But I think when people heard it, they actually thought he's mad. They knew I had to bring it up. And I think they were making fun gotcha. of the position of it more than gotcha. anything. All right. I take it back. I can't, I, de- back. I can't defend all the times Rich interrupted the podcast. Though. <laughs> we, we've, we've had to talk to him. Yeah. We, uh, he might, he might not be invited next time. Question? Yeah. Can I ask you like, 
as an observer, and, and let's be candid here, the ringer is very much part of this ecosystem too, you know, as, as yes. much as anything. Uh, the coverage that you do, the coverage that your staff does. Do you think that there's less and less attention on gameplay? It feels that way. And is that a bad thing for the sport? That there's far greater and, you know, more fascination, uh, attention with where Kevin Durant is going next season, who LeBron's going to get to be his co-pilot versus talking about what actually happened in the game night to night. Um, is that a sign of the health of the league or is it a sign of something else that's happened? I would say there's more, there's definitely more transaction talk, but I think that happened a while back. Yes. And it's like five years old at this point, right? Yeah. This was the, the LeBron. As soon as Twitter became Twitter, that became part of the narrative. And LeBron to Cleveland, you know, LeBron to Cleveland that summer, you know, that was a big, that felt like something felt like it really shifted that summer. I feel like when it really shifted, and I don't remember what year it was, but I think it was uh, February 2012 was when it seemed like Dwight Howard was going to, or maybe it was eleven. When it seemed like Dwight Howard was going to leave Orlando, and then at the last minute he signed an extension for one more year, mm-hmm. and it was like he completely changed his mind. And that was the first time I felt like Twitter was a real player in something. Like I felt like the, his Twitter replies almost made him back down and decide to go back to Orlando for another year in a weird way. Yeah, but um, and that's also the time Woj just decided to essentially change his career from I'm going to go to the games and write these kind of like rich, the gamers that have info and interviews to like I'm going to break stuff on Twitter. Yeah, like, and I'm just going to beat everybody. I'm going to just again. I'm going to beat everybody senseless on Twitter and making it into like an event. Right, like the transaction is the event. And right, me, and me breaking it is the event. It's, it's winning Twitter and winning the ESPN bottom line and all that stuff. I disagree with Jason, though, that um, I think everything with basketball has gotten bigger. And it feels like the transaction and the the day-to-day non-basketball stuff is bigger. But I also think basketball is bigger, too. Like, the amount of people that are breaking down somebody's offense and um, doing prisoner of the moment stuff. And we do it every day. We, we write probably four NBA pieces a day at this point. I think the appetite is just there in a way that it wasn't 10 years ago. And, and to be honest, I think the reason is that just it's the under 30s grew up at the NBA and people in their lives liking it when they were like seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about my generation. Um, their dads, so I'm their the dads oldest. and moms like it, right? Yeah, I'm the oldest of us, right? I'm 49. Um and when I love basketball, it was like this cool kind of on the side thing that I liked that I didn't really have in common with a lot of people. And I loved it. But then my generation grew up and Jordan took off. And now you're talking about like the people that Jordan went over from, I don't know, 88 to 98. Those people are all like 40 and under now. You know, they're like the age range for them is like, I would say 25 to 40. Yeah. So those people now have kids and so I think to me, it's more of a generational thing. And also the fact that social media has helped. The players are just so effing likable compared to the other sports. And uh, and then the drama of just the shorter contracts and the player movement. Yeah. It's a perfect storm. Yeah, I feel it's three buckets of content though, right? There's the gameplay stuff, there's transactions, and then there's NBA players so like us, right? They yeah. eat the same kind of sandwich as we do. <laughs> You know, they, uh, you know, they go to the same kind of vacations we do, like everything, right. That's just like become its own. And that's sort of like, I feel that's part of what you're saying. Like we feel like 
fans feel connected to them and they also feel like they've grown up with them. So then there's this whole kind of weird journalism that evolves. It's like, how do, how do we connect with these guys? Right. This yeah. guy, this, this person, Kevin Durant has nothing in common with me really. But if we can just figure out that he and I like the same kind of, you know, food or, or music or sandwich or whatever it is or wine music. or whatever. Yeah. It's like that we can develop this connection. I feel journalism has, that's one place where journalism has kind of followed the path of fandom to try to sort of make sense of it. Well, you're also, you're also talking about what matters in culture has changed. And this is something I talked about with Allison Herman when we talked about Saturday Night Live last May about what was happening with that show. And for the first five years especially, um, Saturday Night Live reflected the culture of what the 70s were like. It was like this counterculture comedian thing that they just tapped into that, that just hadn't been on television before. And now it's become the institution. The show is geared toward white people and educated white people. And that is something that was the case 40 plus years ago, but now it's still the case. And is why they had like a Weezer sketch on Saturday night, <laughs> which amazing. I thoroughly enjoyed, but I'm a 49 year old white that guy. That was wild. Um, what, what they're missing is that pop culture has shifted and pop culture isn't Bruce Springsteen and Huey Lewis and Cindy Lauper anymore. It, you're t- basically all the principles now are black or in that culture that people care about Drake, Kanye, um, Migos. You're talking about all the music or it's just so much more diverse and basketball fits into that. I think more than it did 35 years ago. It's just kind of the culture LeBron and KD and the, the, all those guys are part of the culture in a way that uh, they're just ingrained. And I don't see it with football. I don't feel like Aaron Rodgers well, is part of the culture, you know, like he's a hero, but he's not, a, yeah. he's not a trendsetter. Yeah. It, 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 it helps that uh, there aren't, you know, not to sound glib, but you know, there aren't 65 year old NBA players walking around with brain damage and you know, yes. regretting uh, their professional livelihoods, um, which is really, you know, a, a big shadow over, over the NFL. Can we give a moment to uh, the Charles Barkley story, which I presume you guys have read uh, or listened to, uh, which was really an incredible phenomenon over the weekend? Yeah, the medium was a medium story about this random friend he met in some uh, in some airport or restaurant or something, and then just started a he friendship met him with in a guy. If I'm, uh, I believe it was a hotel bar. Yeah. Um, he was a Chinese immigrant who met him in a hotel bar and he, you know, had a couple of drinks with Barkley and Barkley's like, I'm hungry. Let's go have dinner. And this kicks off what seemed to be at least a decade long friendship where the guy was in and out of Barkley's life to the point where he attended the funeral of Barkley's mother. And then there's this very sort of teary bit of symmetry at the end where the guy passes away and Barkley shows up in Iowa at this guy's funeral. And everyone's like, why is Charles Barkley at this guy's funeral? And it's told through the voice of his daughter and she had recorded her father. And yeah, you really had got some good guy vibes about Charles Barkley at the end of that thing. That was pretty amazing. That was wild. That was wild. It was a great story. And I think basketball, one of the biggest advantages it has is that, that you know, football will always have the helmets, which it was able to get by. Um, just because the game was so freaking popular. And so perfect for television. Yeah. So exciting on TV. Hockey added the helmets, which they had to. 
But it really hurt the sport because, you know, the, when I was watching hockey when I was growing up, nobody had a helmet. And I felt like the guys, I just felt like I knew them. And mm -hmm. now I can't even tell who's who. And they had to do yeah. it, but it's just the way it is. Baseball has the same kind of intimacy that basketball does. You're a little further away in the stands. But I think for the under 25s, they're not watching baseball as much. Soccer, I think, has replaced that intimacy part. And I think people really care about soccer players and basketball players um, more than, and, and then it's like one-offs after that. It's like people really care about Serena, right? Mm -hmm. But that goes back to the intimacy thing. Um, when you're talking about the younger football players, the under 30s, they have some good candidates now, right? Like Deshaun Watson's a great guy. I like tons Deshaun of, Watson. Tons Saquon's of young amazing. quarterbacks. Yeah, Baker, May Darnold, Baker Mayfield is like an appealing character, right? Yeah, and, they, and they're playing in a sport that is more popular than all the other sports. But I just, I don't know how Baker Mayfield is going to approach somebody like KD or Kyrie. Kyrie's putting out his own shoe every year. My kids wear Kyrie's. They're not going <laughs> to wear Baker Mayfield's, yeah. you know? And, and I don't know how you cut through that. And I just think basketball's hold on the culture is is so powerful right now. I think hip-hop's could control is is incredibly powerful and then like the taylor swift kind of the pop artists are probably like you can see who the players are and the the kardashians the ones who know how to use social media the ones who are shopping themselves and their products and that's kind of what our culture has become unfortunately unfortunately i do savor my role how here how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about the growth of the you know, high school, and we've seen it as early as like seventh and eighth grade with LeBron James's son. That whole sort of economy that's out there now of people taking clips and showing them all over social media, and weird guys standing on the baseline with video recorders and their phones at you know random high school basketball games. Well, what uh, sport? Where do you add it all? What sport does that help the most? No, I mean it, it's basketball. I mean, it feels like that basketball has ninety five percent of that market. I think basketball has just, social media is, it's just a big winner. It really is. Soccer to some degree, but soccer just doesn't have as much action. Basketball has the ability, House of Highlights seems like it's half NBA clips and then half weird shit that happens during high school <laughs> yes. basketball games and right. AAU games. Right. What was the point you were about to make, Brian? No, I mean, I just, I was just saying, I really like being the ringers uh, NBA, let's tap the brakes guy always, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I just, hearing, hearing Mark Stein on this podcast the other day saying that, Dirk was the number one athlete in Dallas. Oh my God. And I just, I, I actually almost, pictured you. When I almost you, crashed said the car on the 405. <laughs> and then he was saying, you know, that all, all the Cowboy fans are after a loss are waiting to see what Dirk tweets, that that's the moment after a Cowboys. <laughs> loss. Let me just tell you yesterday when the Cowboys got shut out by the Colts, I wasn't waiting to see what Dirk tweeted. Maybe he's talking about the younger cowboy fans. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's talking about these. Maybe I'm just, I just, I, 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 no, no, you know, I love Mark, but I was like, come on. No, no way. You know, Absolutely not. <laughs> back to the ratings thing. NBA ratings went down this year uh, on the Thursday night games. And it's kind of an interesting story because, all right, so why did they go down? Or has there been a basketball saturation? Is there a bubble? Like we do this stupid shit. We did it with podcasts when a couple podcast companies went under. It's like, <laughs> is there a podcast bubble? It's like, no, they just had a bad business plan. Um, but with, uh, with, with the NBA, it's like Thursday ratings are down. What does it mean? It's like, well, it's very easy to explain, actually. Thursday night games are better on on Fox. They have better matchups. They did a better job of scheduling them. And then because they stretched out the uh, the NBA season, 
they actually added Thursday games that weren't on TNT. Mm -hmm. So you have these nights where you have five NBA games and three of them aren't TNT games. And then you have like, if the Celtics are playing the Nuggets on my Celtics channel and there's a TNT game, guess which one I'm watching? I'm watching <laughs> the Celtics. So the fact that the ratings only went down however, six, 7%, I actually wasn't surprised by that because uh, th that makes sense to me. What did you make of LeBron to to LA thing when people were talking about how that affected viewership, that LeBron was all of a sudden playing late at night, no. you know, on these coasts. Yeah, I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. I think it comes down to the Thursday, the extra Thursday night games and, and football's package was a little bit stronger. Remember last year we were like, oh, football, what's going on? The ratings. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, football's up this year. Oh, why, why is it up? Because this, all this stuff is stupid. Unless it's, and if the ratings are down 30%, let's have a conversation. Yeah. But when you're talking like the margins of 5% up, 5% down, you know, ESPN losing 2 million subs in a quarter or whatever, like that's something. But the, the, the football thing was just such a, I mean, and it was, and it was such a perfect storm, right? You had the press, it was, there was something for everyone to hate about the NFL. Yeah. If you were a Trump fan, Trump was telling you not to like the NFL. Right. If you were not a Trump fan, you were looking at Colin Kaepernick being blackballed and being like, this is terrible. And, and Trump is attacking. And plus there were the head injuries. Plus there was the injury. It was like a bad year for injuries. The I like when the Patriots got blamed. <laughs> when people are doing the list of like the 10 factors and one of them is people are tired of the Patriots. Let me tell you something. <laughs> that might people have been high never, on my list. Yeah. People are never tired of a villain. <laughs> no. And you this, know, like the Yankees <laughs> might sign Manny Machado right now. I need yeah. it. I like everyone on the Yankees. I don't have a single Yankee I hate <laughs> except for Chapman. I love when we hit Chapman. But uh, but I need them to sign Machado. I, I need a Yankee in my life that I just despise. Please yeah. sign Chapman. Absolutely. Be great. What were you going to say, Jason? Well, Jess, if you're going to talk about a television program that has had the massive ratings drop and actually does need some sort of crisis management, it is, and then you guys have talked about it, it's, it's the Oscars, which is sort of remarkable that you know we're in the second half of December and they don't have a host. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's a show that, and I feel like that's a behavioral change. I don't think that's a programming change. I don't think that there's any conceivable person or format change you could possibly make that is going to restore it anywhere near its ratings peaks. I just, it's not going to happen. It's just, you know, the whole different world now. I was interested. I was reading some of the pieces. It's a no win job, especially in the area of social media. And I think that's the number one reason um, it's harder for them to attract stuff. But, when they list the people that hosted it a million times, like Bob Hope. Yeah, Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. I'm like, who's our Bob Hope, Johnny Carson now? Who's our Billy Crystal? I mean, who's I the, who's just the guy? Billy Crystal was kind of like reliable guy out yeah. of the bullpen. Ah, you know, we gave it a shot. Let's get Billy back. Well, who's I think that? there's only there's only one person. It's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh. I think if you're just talking <laughs> oh, about approval ratings. Move, yeah. I thought you were going to say Jimmy Kimmel. Go ahead. No, but Jimmy became more polarizing when, you know, when he got in, more involved with politics. Like he definitely, mm -hmm. I, I think it was the right thing for him to do. And I thought it was probably one of my favorite things he's ever done. But it's also, you know, you, at that point, you, you're you seen as one side or the other by a certain demo of people. Lin-Manuel Miranda, like everybody just likes Hamilton. He can sing and dance. He can do song parodies. You're never going to bat 100%. I feel like Johnny Carson, 
late seventies, early eighties, like just everybody, there was no, if somebody had said like, I fucking hate Johnny Carson, you'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> really the most shocking thing anyone like ever said to approval you. rating in American life. And we don't have that anymore. There's nobody like that. Everybody's no. polarizing. So Lin-Manuel Miranda might be the one person out there. I, I Jason, I, I think, I, the, I think no I think host. Two moves. I would go no host. No host? Yeah, no host. Uh, I, I, I feel like you have to have something. I mean, I just don't feel like it's as confident a show without a host. Well, what is and, what does know, a host do though? It feels like this is the announcerless game that we always want to do, and then we do it, and it's <laughs> terrible. No, but here, here's here's what the uh, what the host does though. The monologue at the beginning and like two bits during the show. So you get rid of the monologue. You just start with a musical number, yeah. and then you get Denzel and you get Meryl Streep and you get Tom Hanks. And they're just basically like our shepherds for the night. They're not trying to be funny. They're not trying to entertain us. They're <laughs> the like shepherd. Yeah, they, we're like at their dinner party. They're like, come on in. But they're the host. Not really. Do they come they're multiple like, times in the night or just do one award yeah, and then maybe disappear? They, maybe they're on nine times. It's like, but you could do a lot with the overhead Kinda announcer. sounds like a host. Yeah. It's like coming up, the best actress award. <laughs> Here are nominees. Here's Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know. Do we need a host, Jason? <laughs> I think you need a host. I think you need a host just because it's, you know, it's, A, it's a tradition, but also I just, I, I think you need a reason to tune in. And it's, as a much rating suffering as they've had in the past couple of years, the thing that people talk about afterward and through the entire telecast is the host. It is sort of the, you know, the, the central force of, of the conversation. My move, I would go, I would offer Beyonce whatever she wanted. Oh. She'll say no. Yeah. Uh, that would be your smash hit. That would be the best. Then I go Jennifer Lawrence. Mm, polarizing. Oscar winner. Proven host, weirdly enough. Good as a host on Kimmel. Uh, and then thirdly, I go Dan Fouts. <laughs> Dan Fouts. <laughs> Can he bring Ian Eagle with him? Um, Beyonce's interesting. Has Steve Carell and Friends been introduced as a concept? Would people like that? Steve Carell seems blandly popular. The problem is it looks like this movie that he has coming out is going to be like one of the legendary bad movies. Of I don't understand years. it at all from the previews. I'm just like, oh no. It looks like a movie Robin Williams would have made in 1996. Yeah, right. And you saw the ad, you're like, what's going on? Why is Cuba Gooding Jr. in this? Like one of those movies. Uh, with with the host thing, I, I think what's going to happen with all of these places is they're going to make the hosted decisions simply based out of fear of the response. So the safer you, the, the, like the Beyonce suggestion is perfect. Everybody likes Beyonce. Nobody's like, Oh man, that's fucking crazy. Beyonce. Mm -hmm. Like they would never do that. So, you know, when you talk about even Jennifer Lawrence, I think that that reminds me of the Anne Hathaway year when they had her and James Franco. It's like, Oh, this is cool. Young actors. And then everybody got pissed off. People just get pissed off. Yeah. That's why I think that Jennifer Lawrence wouldn't do it. It's all downside. She's a huge movie star. What does she need to, the, to do this for? And everybody gets mad at her on social media. It's chewed up so many people. Chewed up John Stewart, kind of, didn't it, that one year? You Letterman hated Kimmel, it. Kimmel, Letterman notoriously. Kimmel had... Ellen DeGeneres came out decent, right? Kimmel, Kimmel lucked out because the first Oscars he hosted had the strangest thing that's ever happened in the history of awards. <laughs> And nobody even took the time to spend one second on how he did. I'm sure there would have been some backlash for something, but it all became about that envelope switcheroo. And then, you know, he's also good at it, but I, uh, I just don't know where it goes. And more importantly, what happens to the ESPYs? 
<laughs> if people are afraid to host the Oscars, I mean, we, we, I thought we hit rock bottom last year with Dana Kilpatrick, but yeah, now what happens? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have a lot of opinions on who should host the ESPYs. So you're going to be like Nick, Nick Young and Abby Wambach as your ESPYs hosts? Like wh- where do we go? What do we do? What's that? Let's take a quick break. Hey, the fantasy playoffs just ended. That doesn't mean daily fantasy ended. Daily fantasy goes every single day. Go to FanDuel. You can uh, you can get a second chance. You probably lost your fantasy league. The ninety percent chance you lost, maybe even higher, maybe like a ninety-two percent or ninety-five percent chance that you lost at FanDuel. You don't have to. Uh, you just get a second chance. Go back in, research, build a team each week, regardless of the outcome. It's never been more fun or easy to play. I do it every week. I've had a rough year with daily. I had a little better year in real fantasy, but uh, I've tried other DFS sites before. And if you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel clearly the place to play. Get a $5 bonus when you make your first deposit. Pick a new fantasy team every week. Get all the fresh starts you need to get back to winning. Come play with me. FanDuel.com slash BS. Use that URL. They like it. New users only. Bonus not available for withdrawal. State and age restrictions apply for full eligibility rules and terms and conditions. Go to FanDuel.com. All right. I have, uh, I have some quick ones for you. Is Joe Buck the best announcer alive? Play by play. I kind of think he's kind of become that, don't you? Jason? I mean, Ben Scully's alive, so... No, I hate working, when he does that. Yeah, How about that, working? Working uh, announcer. Come on. Working announcer. Uh, I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, he, he, he has really... You know, and I, I think he did your show. You know, he the, the the breakout for Joe Buck was to embrace the hate, right? To realize that, you know, the 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 anger that he provoked in opposing sides was a refraction of like his love, right? And that he understood the way the beast works, and and he's a more comfortable guy and funnier, and you know, it's it, it, I I had a conversation recently with somebody about. Do you remember Joe Buck's HBO show? Yeah, what that whole thing. I mean, that's how, how fascinating. Can we, how could we but forget? That was a different Joe Buck. Well, you know, I think Joe Buck in 2018 would have rolled with Artie Lang. Well, you know, the, the other part is, and he said this in Brian's piece about the 25th Fox anniversary about how when he became the announcer, he just did a Pat Summerall impersonation, right? And he did that for like 12 yeah. years, where he just tried to be super duper understated and serious. <laughs> And then clearly was frustrated that his sense of humor wasn't coming out, which led to the HBO show. But now he's hit this nice kind of zone where uh, I don't feel like he's preachy. I think he matches the excitement of the game for better and worse. It's not like a Joe Tessitore thing. He's very good at channeling. Yeah. You know, and Michaels is the best at that. And I think Buck has a little more versatility than Al Michaels probably does at this point in his life. But Al Michaels does the one thing where like, it'll be a deep pass and it'd be like deep to Jeffrey. Like he has a way of, he can rise his voice yes. to make sure the play is either complete or incomplete. That is just unparalleled. But I, I feel the best when Buck is doing my team's game out of anybody. And I think your point is exact. I think he just, I think he just got older. I mean, this is a guy who did the world series at 27, 28, yeah. right in there. I he put in his 10,000 hours and he was, becoming a person on, I mean, he was becoming an adult on the air. And I don't, I don't actually think he embraced the hate 
as Jason said, I don't think I don't think he want I don't think he's ever wanted as I know him fairly well, right? I don't think he's ever wanted to be a heel. Maybe like he dealt with. The I hate. think he under I think he understood what Jason. The second thing he said is how the media works, and I think he also just got more comfortable with himself. Yeah, and he just was like, I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna have a good time. I'm going to learn this job. That job is really constricting. Yeah, if you're an interesting person. Being a play-by-play announcer is not a great way to show it. <laughs> yeah. And I think he figured out how to get as much of his personality into that job, whether it's, you know, doing that weird. He and Troy on Thursday, it's yeah. like fun night for them. They're wearing half zips and kind of looking at each other, kind of, you know, square in the eye, you know, like, oh, we're, we're screwing around tonight. Yeah. And it's fun. Break the chest that's, hair out. That's what Thursday night football should be. Yeah. It should be like fun night. It'd be goofy night. And I'm I like not a that. huge, I'm not a huge Aikman fan. And I made that point to somebody in there, like he's been good this year. And I've actually been listening to, was it to you? No, but, but I agree. He's, he's, he has, I was listening this year. His, he's actually way more coherent and lively than he's been. And I think part of that goes to Joe Buck, you know? And, and I think what people don't realize sometimes, and I've been in this situation where I've worked with really good people and really bad people. Um, the, the, the play by play person or the studio host, whatever they really can make people better or worse. They're the and point guard. Yeah. They, they are really the are. Freaking point guard. You watch Get Up Now. And once they figured out that Greenberg was the point guard of that show, like Get Up's a pretty good show now. Like I watch it in the morning sometimes. It's really not bad. And they they what they realized was that Greenberg had to be the point guard and that was how to succeed with that show. Um and you need one point guard, not two point guards. You do not need two point guards. But we knew that when they announced it. It didn't make we sense. We said that the first day. Because it, it was no there was no question that wasn't gonna work. Uh I really like Ian Eagle is the other one that continues to just jump out at me. Like whether I'm listening to him do the Nets games, isn't mm-hmm. he doing the Nets games? Yep. Uh doing the football, the college football. He's just awesome. And his partner's always in a good mood. You always get the feeling his partner's like Ian put me in a good in a place to succeed. So I think those are the two other than Kevin Burkhardt is the other one that I think really jumps out to me. Anyone for you, Jason, that you love? Uh, well, of course, you know, I knew you were going to get to it. The, you know, world professional cycling announcer, Phil Liggett, uh, oh, yeah. uh, who has been uh, calling 45 consecutive Tour de France's. Um, <laughs> no, I think the great Of course one. he was on all of those. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, I just had one quick thought about Buck, which is that, you know, Unless Fox does something, uh, he's going to be denied the sort of great sportscaster legacy thing of the Olympics. Um, he's that's the one you know thing for him to climb. He's not had that happen for him. So unless he moves to NBC or NBC surrenders the Olympics, which is a whole other fascinating rights conversation. Because if you think a Super Bowl is expensive, try the IOC. Um, yeah. yeah, he's not done that. And Rupert tried to get in on that. It's I think it was 2000, which is the Sydney Olympics. It was a lot of yep. interest, and he tried to do the same thing with the NFL. Here's the giant check you can't turn down. They're like, you know what? We are turning this down. Yeah, we, sorry, don't, we don't want this. They were not ready for that. Al Michaels is the other one that I think is is uh, is really good. Al still, Al still, just yeah, rocks. He's solid. good when on it's the, the right Al game. Michaels point, yeah. On Al Michaels, you know, I agree with you. You know, in in the in the total, you know, first class, he is. Known, of course, for having commentary on what once was a societal taboo, which is sports betting and yeah. lines and, you know, the covers and all kinds of stuff. And we are now in an era, of course, where the federal laws are being rolled back and states are legalizing sports betting. I'm across the river from 
the uh, now sports betting legal state of New Jersey, and you hear more of it. There's more conversation about this kind of thing. And, you know, I am of the belief that sports betting, a little bit like fantasy football, a little bit of it goes a long way. I can't imagine a telecast where you're constantly talking about those kinds of things. But I don't know, Bill, maybe you're all about that. Maybe you want that. And maybe there's a whole side network for people like you who want that kind of content. People like me, those degenerates. <laughs> I, uh, I thought that was the most interesting thing of the Tiger Phil thing because – it wasn't fun to watch them play 18 holes with at the what kind of PGA influence was over the event. It would just would have been more fun if it was just way more off the rails and like mm-hmm. the 10th level at the 12th hole, they can only play with a seven iron and there should have been, it should have been like way more gimmicks and more, more gambling and stuff like that. But they did lay the groundwork for something that I think can work over and over again. Like I was thinking, um, what, like Zion's going to announce for the, he'll leave Duke, he'll announce for the draft, right? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't, you know, whoever have a dunk contest with Zion that's pay-per-view in May and just have all these dunks and will Zion get a tan and figure out a way? I do feel like things are headed this way. These these events that are specifically designed to game on. If you remember like in the 80s, there were a couple one-on-one basketball games. Yes. And it was like Kareem versus Dr. J. God, that was awful. I think I pay-per-viewed that. <laughs> Magic and Jordan tried to set one up. Magic and Jordan. And they don't think they ever did, but that was going to be like a thing. They were going to play one-on-one. Like, could Durant and LeBron just be like, we're playing seven games to 11. And who would watch that? And it's a two-on-two, and it's 29. Now, the players union might have to, you know, maybe they step in. Or maybe LeBron and and, and KD are like, we're playing horse. Great. We're right now. We're going to be at this park. Um, would watch that first come first serve and it's a dollar, but you have to download this app. And now they have all the intelligence on all the people who downloaded it. I do think that's where we're headed with stuff, but going back to Jason's point, the more and more contrived events we have like that, the more, uh, gambling is going to be involved because that'll be how you justify it. Like, Oh, this will cool. I'll just bet on this. And some website will have whatever. And that's how it'll go. Or the players can bet. What if KD and whomever could bet on a horse game in real time? I would like that. Wouldn't you like that? Well, what if we had, you know, thousand dollars? I I hit the shot from behind the basket. Yeah, I'm like yeah, okay. Half court shot, give me five to one odds. Yeah, you need this. Could be Sal's destiny in life, as he's the gambling commissioner for each bet. He's like the Norman Chad of this uh, yeah. thing. He's <laughs> just standing there with the mic. He's like, all right, I plus five hundred. KD hits the half court shot. <laughs> but I do wonder if that's, you know, we you talk about like the seventies was when Rune Arledge made all these events up because he needed programming because he lost, I think he lost the NBA. He just needed. And ABC was number three. So he needed needed something on Saturday. It's like, there's no sports to buy. What do we do? And he created the super teams and that, that became the superstars. And then that eventually became battle network stars and basically paved the way for all the terrible reality programming we'd have 40 years later. Um, Wide world of sports. I mean, just all that stuff. So, could that be where we're heading with some of this stuff? And with all these athletes who are now their own content companies, could this be, you know, like we, we really last year wanted to have Jimmy Butler. He's this great dominoes player, apparently like, all right, well, Jimmy Butler plays dominoes against six other NBA. We couldn't find other NBA players for him to play, but <laughs> maybe that's where we're headed. Just these little one-off things a dollar here, but you can bet during it and bet on the winner. And there's just lines for everything. And, it's going to lead to the greatest gambling scandal in like 60 years, Jason. <laughs> Maybe Jason Gay 
trying to do the Tour de France off season. Ooh. Can he finish it without crashing? <laughs> Eight no. to one. Eight to one odds. No. All right, I have no. a couple, couple more topics. Um, the rise of player podcasts. Mm. I realized listening to Winging It with Vince Carter and Kate Bazemore, which coincidentally happens to be a ringer podcast, they had those two and they had Andre Iguodala and they had Steph Curry on. And with uh, Annie Finberg kind of driving the, uh, driving the steering wheel. Um, just was a different type of conversation. I really felt like I was eavesdropping on these four dudes talking about basketball in a way that it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do if there's a media person involved, there's somebody steering the ship. Uh, Chaney Fryer and Richard Jefferson stumbled into this a little bit last year. I think JJ Reddick on our network, when he has the right podcast, he's done it. Is is this going to become its own form of medium or are the people that made this work people who were overqualified to do it? Because I have an opinion on this, but I'll wait for meaning you Meaning there's not, the, the athletes that are doing it are just really good at podcasting. And there's not that many that are actually would be really good at this. Yeah. So I'll step on my point now then. Um, I think JJ's just really good. Like JJ's going to retire and he's going to go to Turner or ESPN or wherever. And he's going to do this for 20 more years. Vince Carter is going to be the biggest broadcasting free agents we've probably had in the NBA since Barkley retired 20 years ago. This mm-hmm. is going to be an all out street fight to get him. And by the way, Dwayne Wade is probably the number, the third on that list for, future TV free agents. And my guess is that it's just that those guys are just like, if you listen to that Vince podcast carefully, he's moving the conversation in ways that is really advanced in ways that like, he just has a sense for like, Oh, there's some meat on that bone. I'm going to pull the meat a little bit. I think there's more there. And he does. I was really impressed because he hasn't been doing it for that often. Jason, do you, are you prepared for for players to take our jobs? Basically, yeah. Is that now a uh, requirement among all elite athletes that they have a chief content officer? Is that kind of a thing now? That's part of the group. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. I think there's two two things that are happening simultaneously. Right? There's an incredible demand for this stuff because there are all these new platforms that are happy to have it. Um, there's going to be a lot of junk. You picked off some of the stuff that's working and really good. Um, but it has to have that quality that you described at the top, which is it does have to feel like you're dropping. If it mimics, you know, regular sports programming, if it just starts to sound like talk radio, if it just sounds like any old sort of sports chat that you can have, I don't think it catches on at all. Um, but I do feel like they have more power than ever. They do have the ability to do one-offs. They do have the ability to be their own networks. Um, but yeah, this is sort of a sign of the times. I have a follow-up on this, but we're going to take a break. Hey, let's talk about State Farm. They have over 19,000 agents across this country. That is a huge number. But it's not really about the number. It's about having a real person who's nearby, someone you can talk to and get personalized help protecting what matters most. Combining the purchase of your home and auto insurance is easy with the help of a real-life State Farm agent. Go to statefarm.com slash agent to find an agent today. And by the way, they uh, they sponsored the NBA trade value column this year, the 2018-19 trade value, December edition. It's going to be uh, move it every month, but State Farm was kind enough to get involved with that one. So check that out. If you missed the trade value column for whatever reason, I don't know why you would have but that is on the ringer.com as well. 
coming back on what we were just talking about, sports fr- franchises as content companies really intrigues me. Mm. I think the WWE was the f- really laid the groundwork for this in a lot of ways in NBA entertainment, NFL films. Like we've seen the leagues doing this, but we haven't really seen the teams. And there's been a few exceptions, right? Like if you watch the Yes Network, which uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> Yankeeography and uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Yankeeography, it's so awesome. It's it's yeah. really like Scott an hour with Scott Brocious. It's really like very similar to if <laughs> Trump could have his own cable channel talking about mm-hmm. uh, how great Trump's doing, and it was just all tr- it was like Trumpography and an hour with uh, I don't know, um, but. Now I think we're we're in a situation where I think franchises are going to invest in content in really big ways because the thinking is, and by the way, my it's players, it's franchises, it could be casinos. The thinking is like, who cares where it comes from? Why can't they be the producer? Right? They have money, they have the ability to drive awareness. Um, why not us? To borrow a phrase from a disgraced Red Sox legend, Kurt Schilling. I have. I am. I am. I agree with the sentiment that a lot of people, a lot of consumers don't really care, you know, and I know where that. it comes from. Yeah. And I know that because my cowboy fan uncles are sending me clips from DallasCowboys.com and listening to stuff on there and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm kind of, you know, ah, come on. I have not found a ton of those that I find all that interesting. Like, like I'm a university of Texas guy, right? There is a thing called the Longhorn Network. Yeah. I've watched that for oh, like yeah. 20 minutes if there's not a game on and I'm, it's just too much Longhorns for me. You know, I'm kind of like, it's the, the equivalent of Scott Brocious, you know, Vince, Vince Young's, you know, cooking secrets or something. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know that they really need like the smart person to come in and tell them what to do. Yeah. I'm here. Uh, <laughs> Spring me in. I'll come in for one Will's day. I'll give you nine ideas. Yeah. And it's just like, and the Cowboys are another one. Cause obviously let us say that Jerry Jones is very interested in maximizing content. Yeah. But you know, and they'll have like a smart guy who's an ex-scout on there giving stuff. But then there's always, there's still that kind of thing where you look at it and you go, this feels like an inside job. Yeah. It doesn't feel like, and if the team's winning, you're kind of okay with inside jobs sometimes. But if the team's losing, you really hate it. Right. And you want somebody to be, you know, you, that's when you want actual, you know, unfettered journalist. The team that I think is going to figure this out, or not, maybe not figure it out, but at least go down the road with it the most is the Clippers. Uh, I think a lot sense. of the stuff they're trying to do, if you add up the breadcrumbs, points to a team that doesn't feel like it's just a franchise, an NBA franchise anymore. Like him talking about getting rid of ca- a cable channel completely and just streaming the games through an app. The Clipper Court Vision thing that they do that I happen to be a member of because I'm a season ticket holder where it's like you just, all of this extra stuff and videos and clips and all this stuff. They hire Lee Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Um, to help them, it seems like tell stories. Now we haven't seen any of the stories yeah. yet, but I think that's going to be part of his job, right? And then you think about it, the it, an NBA team is actually really interesting. And if you if you in the right hands, if you're going to tell stories about people on a team, it's like get to know us. Here are the guys you watch every day. Here's Tobias Harris. Here's a one hour documentary about Tobias Harris. Now the audience is limited for that, <laughs> including including on this podcast. <laughs> by the way, on this I podcast. just fell asleep when I heard that, <laughs> or Boban, or whatever. But could Still you sleep? Could Go you ahead. turn your own players into IP? Yeah, 
I just, when does this get beyond like a mildly interesting thing they show on the Jumbotron at Staples Center? I mean, that's kind of this, well, Well, this sounds like. So the the highest upside is hard knocks, right? The lowest upside is being on the Jumbotron being like, do you like baked beans or coleslaw? (laughs) Coleslaw. (sighs) Yeah, everybody cheers. There's some sort of middle ground where you can get content from your people. That would actually be interesting. Though my favorite thing every week, uh, online that's really stupid is the Patriots after they win they show the inside of the locker room of Kraft greeting the players coming oh, back in from the win that's gold I watch it every week <laughs> it's fantastic he shakes everybody's hand he has an awkward conversation with Brady him and Belichick pretend they like each other for for two seconds like I love it I feel like there's some sort of sweet spot we haven't hit yet awkward, is my point awkward owner cam I'm, I'm in oh my god yeah that'd be great <laughs> Maybe that could be part of Amazon's NFL deal. The Lakers, I don't know if you saw this, the Lakers are advertising for a creative director, which is pretty funny. And I looked at the job description and it really is kind of like one of these old fashioned, like impresario creative director jobs that you would see at, you know, a magazine at the height of magazines or an ad agency. And, you know, someone who has this sort of 360 degree vision of, everything that exists around the Lakers off court. And yeah, it speaks exactly to all that stuff. But I, I don't know. I just feel like people are, have so much to choose from the idea that they're going to spend, you know, a, a, a large portion of their day, uh, in just one world. I, I, I don't know. And, you know, I know we want to talk about like the idea of just subscriber life and like everything is now going to be a subscription, right? That is going to be the new formula for everybody to make money in media. And, yeah. you know, there will come a point where, man, I don't know. It's like how many subscriptions they're going to have. I mean, I just did a call recently of all the subscriptions that I had, things that I didn't even remember that I was still subscribing to. And we're still in the early days of this. I just don't know how, you know, how many will be able to survive on that kind of format. Yeah, Dave Finocchio, the guy who uh, who owned Bleacher Report, had a tweet stream about this recently that I thought was interesting. He's basically like, at some point, we're going to hit the same bubble with subscriptions that we we've hit with everything else. Where you know, we saw it with digital media sites in the middle part of this decade, where there was just too much content, and at some point, you knew that some people were going to win and some people were going to lose, and that was just the way it is. There were too many people writing and talking about the same things. And now it's going to eventually head the same way with these subscriptions. Cause yeah, if we add, if we all added up what we subscribe to already, it would be a lot, but now we're three years from now, as more and more people move to the bottle, it could be three times as much, you know? And I think especially uh nephew Kyle's generation where all he cares about is FaceTiming his girlfriend at three in the morning and trying to get stuff for free. That's my least favorite part about having a girlfriend, by the way. FaceTiming her at three in the morning? Yes. All right. That's that's going to be in the sports reporters next thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, his generation is used to trying to cut corners to get something for free. Word. Right, Kyle? I'm not, spe- I'm not of, besmirching the millennials. Yeah, a bunch the- of emails that we never use. Yeah. yeah. That's how we get the free stuff. Yeah. So now you're asking them to pay for everything. And I don't know. Yeah, I feel like as an, as a kind of an old person, I feel I'm the ideal for this because I I have switched my 
New Yorker subscription that I piled up and I never read yeah. for like 10 other things on digital subscriptions that I forgot I had. My <laughs> right. wife and I were looking through the Amazon channels like we subscribed to. It was like, who got BritBox? It was like British <laughs> country house mysteries. Who, who who did this? And she's looking at me. I was like, I, I don't remember that, but I can't rule it out. We subscribed to Shudder and Quello. And oh, I have no whoa, idea what is that? how either happened. <laughs> I actually like Shudder. I was like, oh, they have a couple horror movies I like. And then you just forget. And oh, they're charging totally. Totally. credit card every month. It's amazing. This is the athletics entire business model, yeah. by the way. Yeah, don't forget. <laughs> they forget they subscribe. But by the way, I think that's yeah. kind of effective, don't you? Maybe. I don't think I that's we'll find out. that nuts. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have, I mean, I imagine you've had discussions at some point or another of a sort of membership model for The Ringer, have you not? I mean, the idea of like, oh, okay, it's going to keep the not like, you know, paywalled ringer, but maybe it's like ringer plus or ringer membership and you get a hat, you get this and this and you get access to Kevin Clark and that kind of stuff. Have you had those kind of conversations? It's just been about Kevin Clark. Yeah, access it's to Kevin Clark was Kevin a turn Clark off. for four ninety nine a day. <laughs> just get Clark all the plus. Kevin Clark. It's it's an all you can eat Kevin Clark. And that's uh <laughs> now I mean this Curtis, is something did you get uh, did you get golf plus? Uh, I think I accidentally subscribed to it. Yeah, remember that? Because you had to pick, you had to pick that or something else, right? And I think I picked Golf Plus. I think so. I've researched this a couple different times in my life. One was when I had my old website in Boston, and I was deciding, did I want to spin off and do it on my own? The Boston Herald was trying to hire me to put me behind a paywall because they were starting to paywall their newspaper stuff, or I had a chance to go to ESPN potentially. And I really thought about the whole paywall model and I kept coming back to the same issue, which is that once you're walling people off, how do you get new people? How do people stumble across your stuff? And then I remember Glenn Beck, what was the year that Glenn Beck launched his thing? That was subscription. Yeah. Well, there was the the thing. No, it was even before that where it was like Glenn Beck. Unplugged. Yeah. Whatever whatever it was. was. And And it did really well. Right. And then a few years later, the subs dropped, then part of the problem was that he couldn't get new people. And I, I think I can't figure out that fundamental issue of how you raise awareness for stuff that people can't see. Mm. And I don't know how you do that. For the ringer, like we just don't have the scale. I, I think, you know, when you're talking about the New York Times and Washington Post and um, the New Yorker and places like that, like they just have a, a shitload of content and they have breaking news. And it's like, if you care about media and you care about information, you kind of feel like you have to subscribe to them. Um, that's a really hard bridge to car. Like, could we make this podcast a subscription and could it do well? I don't know. Um, but I know that I would wall off all the possible people who could potentially subscribe to it and you antagonize people. And there's all these elements to it that um, I think it's really hard to do unless you have just a ton of stuff. And that's why Netflix works. Netflix has a shitload of, nobody's like, wow, I just not getting my money's worth out of Netflix. Like we go through the Netflix screen. It's like, fuck, or all these TV shows and movies, like Jesus, won't end. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. how, I think that's going to win. The New York Times has a shitload of stuff for what you get, you know, but if they ever throw for- the daily behind it, we're in trouble. Brian. What did you think when you heard New Yorker commercials on Bill's podcast? That was an amazing moment in media. In new old in new old media moment, really underrated. I mean, did you ever think you'd we be don't doing call a- them commercials? We call them reads. Okay, did you ever think you'd be doing a read for the New Yorker? I love the New Yorker. I know, but 
But that's kind of a moment, right? The greatest On moment. The BS of- podcast doing a read for the New Yorker. Love the New York. I mean, the New Yorker is an incredible publication. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we're doing another read right now. No, it really is. I, it's it's been a huge part of my life, and I've read just incredible so many hours. But I mean. Sports Illustrated, on the other hand, like I, I finally stopped getting it, and yeah. now it's for sale. And and there's this really, I don't even interesting is not the right word. I don't even know what the word is. The these legacy brands that are being pursued by people who are old who remember when mm-hmm. the brand meant more. The glory days. Yeah, so now you have SI that. Um, I forget what the final price was, but it was all, like all these suitors for SI and all the people trying to get them just seemed to be like older people who have money. And the same thing that happened in Time Magazine. It was the same thing that happened to, um, what was the other one? There's a, this Fortune. Is, oh, and uh, or somebody bought The Atlantic, which is a really good magazine and just pumped a bunch of jobs and openings into that. But uh, it's this combination of of, it's a brand that matters but then it's somebody who just has a lot of money who's like, I'm going to make this one of my legacies, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of cool. And it actually weirdly, this whole, it's like Robin Hood. It's the Robin Hood era for journalism. Yeah, it's I'm going to media- ride in with my bow and arrow and save this publication. And be a media baron. Yeah. And people know who I am more you know, than they did if I was just in the business pages, right? Because I look at New York Magazine. I think that magazine, you know, it, maybe the magazine itself was probably better four or five years ago. It's still readable. The website's great. Oh, it yeah. breaks a lot of, it has a lot of good writers. I respect it a lot. And I say, I hear it's for sale and that people aren't sure. And maybe I'm like, holy shit, like the New York magazine, that that should be a Robin Hood magazine. Where's yep. Robin Hood for that one? That was a scary one. Cause it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is being edited and done at a really, really high level. Yeah. We really admire those guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, to hear that they can't find a buyer. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't know what people even look for anymore with this stuff. But with the subscription models, um, I think you have to have scale. You agree, Brian? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, that's, I just, I do, I do think that the time, the New York Times right now, I mean, the other interesting question is we say you have to get the New York Times, the Washington Post. You have to subscribe. And I feel the same. And I, I feel the same way, especially yeah. about the Times. But I also wonder how much of the population is going to feel that way when Donald Trump shuffles out of the White House. If all of, you know, currently there feels like there's a lot of must-have subscriptions. Yeah. And is that going to feel must-have when there's not just a fire drill in the White House every single day? And uh, like- Brian, what's this paper you're talking about? The New York Times? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is it daily? Yeah. Yeah, it's every day. Yeah, it's it's out of New York. Pretty good, pretty, pretty good daily. I do wonder what's going to happen. I feel, don't you feel like the Trump bubble is just like, it's kind of hard to understand even, you know, we put the times into this category right now though. They're kind of, they went from, I mean, let's not forget Carlos Slim giving, having to get, take money from him and all that stuff. I mean, that was 10 years ago, a little more when they were felt like. Michael Hirshhorn predicting the New York times would be out of business within six months or something like that. Remember that call? They were really on the ropes Mm. and all of a sudden they feel bulletproof. And I just, I just wonder how much of this is, Trump driven. And if you really, if, you know, there's going to be a lot of marginal people that are like, okay, Trump's gone. Do I have to get this every, do I really have to subscribe to this? I don't know the answer to that. And I'd be sort of worried. Like it's a carbon dioxide monitor or something like that. that (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it'll be, maybe they'll just move to global warming. 
Yeah, as parts of their plenty of other emergencies in the world. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I I still get the print New York Times. So I don't. I don't. I love it. Yeah, it's my favorite thing in the world to read in the morning. Newspapers have gotten to the point with me when I see people reading a newspaper, I actually notice it now. Yeah, if I'm getting a coffee at Starbucks and some dude is just kicking some older guys kicking back with like the front page of the Times, just kind of digging in. I'm like, oh, look at that newspaper reader. I get more comments. It's like that. he's nailing a horseshoe to the bottom <laughs> of a horse's foot or something like that. Right? One, of the re- one of the many reasons I, I love going to visit my dad is he's got this kitchen table and it's got the globe and the herald on it. Awesome. And he's just, he's just awesome. thumbing through thumbing through the herald. Oh, look at the story of the Red Sox closer. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, Do you think that the other thing besides Trump, and I would, you know, I don't think there's anybody in the newspaper business who would, give you an honest answer that didn't say that Trump undoubtedly has been like a huge boon to people's everyday interest in newspapers. But the only thing that's happening is, you know, what's happening with Facebook and social media and people's distrust of that. And I think that's another real avenue for media organizations to try to capitalize upon because, you know, after years and years and years of like being funneled this idea that you know, social media was the place to get your information and any information wanted to be free. Well, it turned out a lot of free information was crap and, you know, fake. Rush, and, Russian. You know, now you have this opportunity to jump in and, 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 you know, have a brand that says, like, if nothing else, you know, the stuff that's in here is legit. I think that's right. I think that's a good point. Yeah. It, it does feel, it feels like we're groping around for something that's like the gold standard now. And it's, you know, a handful of new, it's a handful of newspapers and then other, you know, a couple other media organizations. I think the Facebook, yeah. the Facebook piece of this is the most interesting media story of this decade for me. Um, and maybe you could argue of the century where yeah. it swung an election. They committed, it seems like a whole bunch of crimes. It seems like they're genuinely bad people. Um, I'm sorry, all, who are they? In this case, this is just, a Trump, Trump yeah, whoever everybody, you okay. whoever you want. Um, they have our information. They've sold our information to multiple places. Um, they've probably have our passwords and our credit cards and pictures let, of my kids. They know my data habits. breaches in there. Yeah. I've noticed I don't even go to Facebook anymore. I really don't. I, I, I actively dislike it. And I really did think of deleting it. Um, but every once in a while I go there if I'm super bored just to see like, you know, who's my, what friend of my wife has put some picture of their kids or whatever. And I'll notice they'll have soccer ads, those promoted ads. Ugh. It'll be like to kick a soccer ball. And meanwhile, like, so they, they had that because I posted photos in the past of my kid's soccer team yep. and they've been able to run that through some analysis thing and be like, this person has posted soccer pictures so here's the special soccer ball. I think it's fucking creepy. And the way people use data now, it really freaks me out. And, it, it, you know, when you talk about the late 90s, the first wave of this, when it was like subscription, this is where it's heading. And people were saying to themselves, I'm, they'll never get my credit card. They'll have all my information. <laughs> you know, it's like out of that Sandra right. Bullock, the net and disclosure. Yeah. And all those movies about like, don't let this happen. This is how they're going to get you. And they just kind of broke us. And now I'm like, I'm on the fucking airplane giving my credit card so oh. I can get Wi-Fi for an hour. I'm like, anyone in the airplane could be just hacking all my information in five seconds. I'm no like, problem. Ah, they probably have it anyway. Fuck it. <laughs> Absolutely right. 
Absolutely so, right. But I, I saw today right before we came on that Walt Mossberg, you know, was the journal's old tech columnist. Yeah, later, legend. Just announced announced on Twitter that he is quitting Facebook. Yeah. So that's become he's now the now, now we're to the stage of like famous people announcing that they're quitting Facebook. God, I I've I've thought about doing that for a while, but here's the problem. I love Instagram. Mm-hmm. Instagram is my favorite social media platform ever. I love it. Right. And Facebook owns Instagram. They had so I what am I going to delete Instagram? I really enjoy Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. My kids love Brian, Instagram. Yeah. Is is the leaving Facebook, uh, you know, announced that the new I'm leaving New York? I think. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I'm moving to I'm moving to the east side of Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Why I love you know, Facebook. Someone, someone, someone made a very good point about Facebook that I, I wish I could remember who it is, and I can't take any credit for it. But that just that the idea of this, you know, Facebook being this unavoidable monopoly might be BS in this respect that. You know, you look at the monopolies in the past, like, you know, electric companies, gas companies, you know, standard oil, railroads. I mean, these are things that have phased out. But, like, you couldn't live not get electricity. You had to have electricity. Whereas you can live your life uh, quite successfully and even quite successfully digitally without Facebook. And so that really may be where there's the most amount of trouble because it's not something that is just completely baked into the hardware of American life. I don't think Facebook can come back. I think there's yeah. been too much damage, and I think eventually Instagram will just be where they butter their bread. Interesting. I, I just think there's been too much damage and, and too much distrust, and they've handled every single thing wrong now for Oof. three years and do not seem like they have good people running it. Like no. what, Mark Zuckerberg's apology tour for a year? What the fuck was that? <laughs> Remember when he was running? Why don't you sell my more of my data, you asshole? Remember when he was running for president? Remember that was going to be a thing. He's an asshole. Guess what? We knew he's an (laughs) asshole from the Social Network. The whole movie is about what a fucking asshole he is. Now we're surprised he's an asshole. What the hell? You know he's an asshole. He's a bad guy. But think about this: like you probably would not have said this five years ago because you know Facebook had a grip on whatever product you know, whether it was Grantland or Ringer. I mean, you know, Facebook was the conduit. To getting eyeballs, to getting new readers, and 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 they really had publishers beholden. I remember the last year of Grantland, Facebook became a huge driver of traffic for us, and you can even see it in some of the old posts I did from 2014, right? You know, posting my columns or other people's columns, and then it, like with everything else, there was just so much content on Facebook that it just. Mm-hmm. But there, there was a sweet spot there, and it really did help raise awareness for for Grantland. I didn't know that they were probably selling my data to the Ukrainians at the time. <laughs> specifically, the the, specifically the Ukrainians. And yeah. aliens or whatever the fuck else they were doing. God, just the worst. And then Sheryl Sandberg with her lean in thing. It's like, why don't you lean into some 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 dignity with the place you work for? And don't sell year. our data. Tough year. Yeah, lean into not selling our data. How about that? And also being honest with the press, right? Yeah. When, when, you're, when, you, when they got you. And then you have like three different answers. It means there's a new New York Times story every single time. All she cared about was, oh shit, this might ruin my chance to run for office. Instead of like, oh shit, this was horrible for our country. This is really bad. We have to fix this. This was out of anything. This whole decade was all about like people in positions of power just being fucking assholes. Well, Well, you know what this means, guys, to bring it back to the beginning. Really the place for Facebook here is a nice, 
fat NFL deal, right? You know, just bring it all, you know, get oh all God. NFL Sundays, you know, come on. Wow. And they'll be like, it's free. We're giving this to you for free. It's free football. You don't have to pay a dime because we have all your data anyway. That'd be a big moment, right? Sports you really want to watch only on Facebook. We've bought, we've bought your trust back for free. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is the Ukrainians have all your data. I don't know why I picked on the Ukrainians. I was going to say, I love that that's what you fastened on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason, yeah, don't- do, you don't have a parting shot for us, do you? I don't like a real true lazy sports columnist. I'm not prepared. So, uh, you know, I'm staying in the role. I have your, uh, I have your mission for 2019. What's that? Cycling. I think it should be a bigger thing. I think you got to start writing about this. (laughs) (laughs) Look, in the Venn diagram of financial trade publications covering cycling, I feel I'm an industry leader. Okay. Listen, the best thing that's going to happen to the sports reporters in 2018 is Jason's son is now into wrestling. And I can't wait to see where it goes. Have you written the first My Son is Into Wrestling column? No. It's coming. My mom is a little mad at me. It's still a little raw right now. Oh, it's great. But the, the, the thing that I just ask you a quick question, you know, this was small time wrestling this is johnny rods's like school wrestling in brooklyn new york they do a monthly show at gleason's the boy is about six years old uh we sat in the front row and i was kind of getting that's a bad idea look from other people yeah and we stayed and it was great but was that a bad idea yeah it was a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) you put your son in danger Bad idea because he might have been crushed to death yeah maybe yeah seems i don't I am yeah. uh, I am in the uh, mindset of if if you're under eight, you shouldn't be courtside for a basketball game in the front row for a baseball game. Or although I guess in baseball they have the nets are all the way around. But it's probably it feels like because I, you're going to get smushed. Possibly. You just don't know. Yeah. E- even if it's a one in a ten thousand chance, it's still you know. Yeah. Just wait. My son watched wrestling. We had a trampoline in the back, and within three months was doing you know RKOs and flips, and I mean. Nephi Kyle, he's he's a legitimate maniac, partly because of wrestling, right? Yeah, there's no trampoline now, so he's jumping off couches and stuff too. So it's, yeah, knows? he told he told us the other day he was trying to do a seven twenty flip. Whoa! But the couch doesn't have enough room before he hits the floor. <laughs> Thank God. We're like, can you stop doing that, please? <laughs> this sounds dangerous. So yeah, good luck with that, Jason. Good luck with the wrestling. Should be great for you. And good luck to all of us for Facebook after they sell our data to the uh, Ukrainians right after this podcast. Usually the, the blog instant blog post written up after a BS pod is something you said about the NBA, but I think it's like you calling Mark Zuckerberg an asshole. That's, he is that's an a, asshole. There you go. He's been an asshole his whole life. Yeah, Watch right. the social network. There you go. Brian Curtis, you can read him on the ringer.com. You can, you can listen to him on the press box. Jason Gay, you can hear him in, in uh, a whole bunch of platforms and you can read him in the Wall Street Journal. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to State Farm. Don't forget to go to StateFarm.com slash agent. Thanks to FanDuel. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel is the place to play. You get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome. Come play with me at FanDuel.com slash BS. Get a $5 bonus when you make your first deposit. New users only. Bonus not available for withdrawal. State and age restrictions apply for full eligibility rules and terms and conditions. Go to FanDuel.com. 
And thanks to the New York Times Crossroad, Crossroad. I keep saying Crossroad because my daughter's applying to Crossroads. <laughs> thanks to the New York Times Crossword. Leave that in. I want people to hear how stupid I am, Kyle. Okay. If you're looking for a smart way to unwind, play the New York Times mini crossword. The crossword is the fun, relaxing way to stay sharp. Enjoy a quick battle wits with yourself or challenge a friend or challenge my dad. In about two minutes, you'll experience the satisfaction of solving. The mini puzzle is wordplay every day. Download the New York Times crossword app at newyorktimes.com slash mini. Back later in the week with more. <laughs>